lucky that I had talent at it. And after my first year of scratching, I won my first state DMC title and won him what got it three times in a row, the Australian runner up, then Australasian uh, ITF champion, which is like a different thing to the DMC. Um, and then I won Qbert's scratch university competition. So I went to San Fran, stayed with Qbert for a while. Like it's just a dream come true to be honest. And this is all before yeah, I was awesome. producing, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's um, yeah, dude, it's wild. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh, also editor-in-chief of the Unstock.com. So yeah, what a week, huh? It somehow both flew by and also lasted several months at the same time. And I've aged horribly while being glued to the Kornacki tracker. For all those outside the United States, your assumptions about American politics are all correct. We as a populace really are as dumb and mistrustful of each other as you think we are. Bill's guest today is Zeke Beats, a fellow Aussie. He's an insanely talented turntablist and is responsible for some of the biggest bass anthems in our corner of the industry, like Humanoid with longtime collaborator Eprom. His shows are seriously a goddamn delight, and if we ever make it out of this hellscape, I can't recommend highly enough catching him live. Truly a top-tier talent. A little housekeeping, thanks to everyone supporting the show and keeping us going on our Patreon. You get early access to episodes, bonus content, there are some exclusive merch options on their way, and you know that you have a direct impact on keeping us going. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash Tunes. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, access to nearly 30 sample packs, and so much more. All right, here's Bill's chat with Zeke Beats. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Well, yeah, oh, thanks, for, thanks for doing the podcast. I know I like asked you to do one in January, but um, oh, yeah, 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 no, that's my bad. I was like super duper hectic, um, like with uh, the Peekaboo tour and all sorts of shit going on. Literally had to go back to Australia for two days, play a show, come straight back all the way to Pittsburgh for New Year's because I played Breakfast in Perth. Oh, fuck. And then straight after Pittsburgh, I had two more shows. I had Baltimore and I can't remember the other one, but yeah, it was fucking crazy around that time, man. It's just such a complete opposite um, end of the spectrum right now. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a similar thing, um, I want to say last year or the year before, where I um, went to Australia on like a Thursday and played mm-hmm. a show in Brisbane. And then I was back in America on the Monday and playing a show in LA. I was like Dude. totally fucked. I was I got sick. I got super sick, like just from the flight and all that, and just like yeah, being run down and tired and stuff. And I think it just like lowers your immune system. And then like that coupled with just being around a shitload of people, it just gets you sick every time. 
definitely dude i feel your pain <laughs> yeah it's funny too because yeah. like uh, when i was like getting sick all the time touring before covid i was always just like oh fuck it it's whatever i'll be in bed for like a day and then take a few hot showers and drink some tea and i'll be fine but yeah. like now i'm like fuck man i should be like more careful about getting sick <laughs> like now that everyone's super paranoid about like the covid shit or like we're just more educated now as a society i think about like how bad like you know infectious diseases are and stuff like that yeah for oh, sure man you call them um, pathogens or whatever pathogens yeah yeah it's crazy man you're you're you said you're back in sf did you yeah so i was living in yeah. colorado for the last few years and then i moved here at the start of the year yeah yeah how's yeah. that going for you it's good. I really like it here. Yeah, I think that the weather here is super nice, and people are really woke. And like, <laughs> I was looking. Um, it's it's funny. You can kind of like measure the wokeness almost of people right now just by looking at the election results, right? Like, <laughs> right. Instance, if you wanted to compare, say, the wokeness of like Oregon versus California, I mean, there's a, there's kind of a metric for it. It's like just look at who voted for Biden and Trump, right? Because like yeah. well, Oregon had like 1.2 million vote for Biden and 900,000 vote for Trump, and California yeah. had about 8 million for Biden and 4 million for Trump. So you can kind of look at the ratios and be like, oh yeah, definitely on maybe Cali, yeah. Like, which is funny because I always thought like Portland was like the wokest place, right? No, it's like Portland is a, a pretty like woke place, but it's all the surrounding like towns mm. of Portland. Yeah. Like literally I can drive, I'd say 45 minutes out of <clears> Portland <throat> and I'd see like Blue Lives Matter flags and all this kind of shit and oh, like, you know, like Trump uh, flags and all sorts of shit everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, it's pretty like, you know, countryside Oregon's pretty like hick you know <laughs> yeah it's yeah. I'm looking at the actual map now of oregon and where people voted and yeah it pretty much looks like portland salem eugene and bend are all blue and the rest of the state is red yeah it's crazy man yeah. that's why i'm kind of afraid to go camping and stuff like i'll go camping around portland in those kind of areas but i won't go like too far because i've heard stories where like you know, I can't remember who who told me this, but someone was like, "Oh yeah, my friend, he's black, and he went to this town on a on a school trip, and they stopped to get some McDonald's, and the police officers came up to them and were basically just like, we can't help you once it goes nighttime, and Dude. yeah, like shit like that. So I'm just like, oh, I'm not I'm not gonna go camping because that's one thing I've been doing is doing a bit of camping since got some time and just trying to get out in nature especially not now though it's it's cold now but um when it was summer yeah <laughs> mm, yeah 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 i've been doing the same kind of stuff actually i've been mountain biking a lot and doing a bit of hiking and stuff like that it's actually been like in some ways good i think to be like forced to not tour for a year or whatever because like i would never have taken this break otherwise like if you just kept putting shows in my face i would keep taking them yeah, of course, um, need the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like your career and your job, right? But it's like kind yeah. of interesting to be forced into this position as an artist. Uh, like on uh, the obvious like problem is that like, you know, a lot of artists are going pretty rough right now financially and like, you know, a lot of agents and stuff like that are, you know, becoming you know, they're doing different jobs now. Like after the pandemic happens, who knows how many fucking booking agents there are going to be left, right? Because I mean, all of their income has gone too. So they might go like, oh, well, 
I'm going to take my administrative skills elsewhere and you know, work in tech or something like that. So yeah. um, there's like obviously all that shit, which is problematic, like massively problematic. But then there's this kind of like uh, this other side of it, which I think is kind of positive um, where like we're all forced to like sit in isolation and think <laughs> about what's happened. And, you know, yeah. To, like, you, you may become more like aware of what it is that you actually want out of life post pandemic and stuff like that. Cause you have some time to think. To, to, yeah. You're forced to face it without any distractions. Yeah. It's yeah. It's pretty <laughs> interesting, man. <laughs> Do you have any um, trips planned away, like back to Australia or anything like that in, in the future? Not really, man. I feel like since I've been living here over the last like five years or six years now, um, mm-hmm. I just, I'm like growing more and more distant from Australia. And every time I go there and I just instantly get stressed out by it. Cause I'm just like, fucking what, what who am I around? This is ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't think it's just like, you know, I feel like I hang out with reasonable people too, but there's still just a lot of it like in the air there. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in that sense, so, no, I don't have any interest. <laughs> <right? laughs> also, no, especially because like you can't fly right now, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, you can, it's, but I mean, it's not. Yeah. I, I flew last week, actually. Oh, where'd you go? I went to, I flew to Minneapolis and then I got a rental car and drove to Wisconsin to play a show with Ganja White Knight. It was oh, like was an, it good? It was cool. Yeah, it was an outdoor drive-in show. Um, it was just cool to like actually get out of the house get and like out. fly and go see some different shit that isn't just like, you know, the one hour surrounding area of my house or whatever. Yeah, um, dude. It was, it was good for like mental health, I think, but uh, it was like, I think also unnecessarily risky and I wouldn't want to put my risk that high like every weekend. Mm, yeah. But, um, there's a calculator online. It's called um, microcovid.org or something like that. And basically ah, okay. what uh, these people have done, they've made a white paper that you can read. I haven't read it, but my friend has read it and he explained it to me. Um, and basically uh, there's a way of calculating a one in a million chance of getting coronavirus based on like a bunch of parameters. So like um, mm. yeah, I can pull it up and speak about the parameters now for people who haven't heard of this. Yeah, I got it here. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, so you enter your location. So, like, you know, let's say um, Oregon, Portland. You can then pick a preset, right? So, let, let's just say, like, grocery store for 60 minutes. Um, that would be around 50 microcovids if you went to the grocery store in Portland for 50, uh, for 60 minutes. So, 50 microcovids means a 50 in a million chance of getting COVID. Wow, this is which crazy. Is, which is not that of bad, this? right? Like 15 million is okay, but that's 20% of your weekly risk budget if you're trying to keep your risk at 1% a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damn. So, so there's a, a way to actually like sort of almost objectively look at this stuff at this point. And um, I did that for my trip this weekend. And it turned out um, because I was wearing two N95 masks, like for instance, um, if I go back to this... Uh, um, this grocery store for 60 minutes thing. If I go down to the bottom where it says precautions and I mm-hmm. say my mask is a well-fitting, well-sealed N95 respirator, then that goes down from 50 microcovids to five. So it lowers your risk by 10 times. Which is Oh, wow. That's really good. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed from using this calculator is that um, like every time I go out now, I for sure wear my N95 because I know it's 10 <laughs> times less risky. So I, So I did that for this whole trip this weekend and I ended up, getting the COVIDs down to about 250 for the whole weekend. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Um, do you have your mask nearby you? Like what sort of mask do you, uh, I have, uh, like, they're like at my front door. I have like a little, uh, yeah. um, like, like just a box bowl type thing. And I just sort of have like 10 and I just chuck them all in there and just grab one on the way out. <laughs> Is that what you gave out for Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we didn't actually get any trick or treaters this year. Um, yeah, but I have yeah. a, a Vogue mask, which has actually got a vent on it, so you're not allowed to wear it into grocery stores here. But it's designed for, um, I guess, keeping uh, particulate matter out. So if there's like mm. fires and shit like that, it's good for like keeping the smoke out. Um, yeah. But then I also have a KN95 thing, and that's just one of nice. those big white triangle ones. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good, man. I, um, thanks for sharing that website with me. I had no idea about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's useful. It's yeah. I mean, I still don't necessarily agree too much with shows. I got offered another one in Columbus this weekend that I turned down because I was like, "Nah, I don't want to just keep doing this." This seems yeah. too risky. Yeah, that's that's tough, man. Is uh, so you're um, I can't remember who you were working with, like your agency or what agent you were with. Were you same as you, Madison House? Oh, it's Tynan. Oh, Tynan, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, and you were as well. Yeah, I was. Yeah. So, so this is a good example of booking agents who quit during the pandemic, right? It's like exactly. he's, not a, he's not an agent anymore. No, but apparently he's doing some sort of like management now with a, another company. Um, but uh, do you have a new agent yet, or are you kind of just doing it solo right now? Um, yeah, I have a new agent. So basically, uh, the manager that I'm with, Anand. He is with a company called Pivotal and they're the people who like broke closey and stuff like that. Mm. So um, they kind of have like a somewhat large team of like 10 people or whatever. So there's like agents in there and all that sort of shit. So I'm just kind of doing like all management and agent stuff like in-house with them now. I'm not like kind of having a separate company for agency stuff because I feel like it's just like unnecessarily complicated to have like a different person do both. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. Um, yeah, that's good, man. Cause, uh, yeah, since, uh, Tynan's left, I'm basically in this weird position now where I'm like, should I even get an agent right now? Cause it's like, you know, do I, do I actually want to be doing a ton of shows, which <laughs> the answer is no, but a show maybe once every two months is like manageable. I think, do you know what I mean? Something which isn't too, uh, destructive or careless um right yeah so, and so even long. then sorry go ahead. Oh, sorry oh and i was gonna say and even then i would make sure it'd be like an outdoor show and you know like socially distance i don't really not too big on the indoor shows especially when you you know everyone's sweating moisture gets in the air everyone's mm. breathing each other's moisture in and out <laughs> Yeah, so if, if we had had this conversation yesterday, I would have been like, yeah, fuck yeah, I agree with you, fuck indoor shows. But I read an article this morning that said, um, coronavirus study in Germany offers hope for concert goers. Findings from a test event with 1,200 attendees suggest that indoor concerts have a low impact on infection rates, providing that they're well ventilated and follow hygiene protocols. So basically, this company in Germany, um, they put on an indoor event with 1,200 people, so like not a small amount of people, and they just like used proper ventilation and proper social distancing and like proper hygiene protocols. And mm. the risk apparently was super low. For wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it might not actually be the worst thing, but, um, Germans are pretty good at following code of conduct. So 
you know what? This is uh, also um, San Francisco is, right? Because I, I was thinking about this. Uh, if you look at all the cities and the cases, um, the cases for San Francisco are actually like really low. It's like one of the best big cities to be in in the country right now. Um, yeah. Like in, for comparison, um, doing the same activity in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, like going to the grocery store, right? Because I was there last weekend was worth about like 500 times the micro COVID that, that it's worth to do in San Francisco. Wow. It's insane. Nice. Like the, the risk there is just so much higher. But I think I put that down to the same thing you just said. Um, <laughs> techies are just really good at following rules, right? Because like one of the skills <laughs> yeah. you need to have to be a good worker in tech is to be able to follow a rule book. Otherwise your code won't work. Exactly. And protocols. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's true <laughs> yeah so i don't know about indoor show i still probably wouldn't do one mostly the thing that like bothers me about the shows is the flights i just don't really want to get on planes because that felt sketchy as fuck like i was wearing yeah. two masks and i was just like not drinking water for like three hours on a plane because i didn't want to take my mask off and shit and i was like, yeah super sketchy i don't know <laughs> did you um did they block the center aisle like the center seats of the uh plane out yeah they did so everyone was oh, just no. sort of sitting like on the window seats and everyone kind of had uh well uh, yeah they they gave like a one seat barrier between everyone yeah Okay. There was also a study, or not a study, but like something that happened with planes where somebody on a plane had COVID and the only people who got sick on the plane were the people within like a couple of rows of that person, mm. which kind of um, sort of suggested that recycled air isn't a thing that spreads it either. Yeah. Okay. Damn. It's crazy, man. I, I'm still kind of... I, I, you know, I don't know how long this is going to go on for. It's it's hard to like try and think about that stuff because it's all stuff which is out of our control. You know what I mean? I feel like I can't really see people working to the, together um, in the states, and that's nothing against like the states or whatever. But like you know, in WA right now, uh, Western Australia. For those who don't know what WA is in Australia, um, it's completely fine like no masks you know they're just like there's i can't even i haven't checked the cases today but it's like ultra low and they're doing you know massive festivals i mean that's why i was going back there for breakfast you know so i've got breakfast coming up um next month which i've applied for the exemption to get in but i'm just waiting to hear back and i think my chances are slim but i'm trying you know yeah. Wait, so what are, what are the like what is the contingencies on which you'll be allowed in or the conditions? Um, so as long as I land in Western Australia, I won't have to do two weeks in Sydney or Melbourne and then two weeks in Australia uh, mm. WA. Um, so as long as I leave from Portland or Seattle to Japan and then Japan to Indo and then Indo to Perth. So um, that's and then I have to do two weeks in a designated hotel, which the government tell you which one you have to go in. You have to download an iPhone app mm -hmm. and this iPhone app saves police having to come knock on your door like all the time to check that you're there. So they basically just send a notification being like you have X amount of time to take a photo and prove that you're in the hotel still. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how they've been doing it. 
and in WA as well, they used to have blockades. Like, um, I don't know if you know where a town called Geraldton is <laughs> in no. Western Australia. That's where I'm from, from this like tiny little country town. Then I moved to Perth. But anyways, it's like if you wanted to go to like two hours out of town, you had to like apply for that online. When you get approved, then you drive two hours out of town, there'll be a blockade and you basically like show them the approved piece of paper and then they'll let you through. So, um, and if you get caught crossing a border, like if you're caught crossing the border into WA from another state, it was $30,000 fine and jail time. Jesus. Yeah. Even hanging out with friends, like at the beginning of the lockdown, if you were caught at a friend's house, that's $6,000 fine per person. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they didn't right. fuck around. But that's yeah, why it's like insane. normal right now. Like, they're, right. you know, my parents are like, they're loving it. I'm just, sucks because all my family is there, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I read a funny tweet the other day that said like uh, punishable by fine just means like legal for a price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> um, but that's crazy. Like that shit would never fly in America, man. Because like everyone would just be like, fuck you. This is like impeding yeah. my freedoms. And they'd like pull out their yeah. fucking guns and shoot something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. Like I understand both sides, but... Uh... I mean, it's tough, man. Things aren't going to change unless it's something big and impactful like that. Um, I mean, at least I feel like some people have to be willing to just give it a try and then see the result. And then if there's no result, then it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like not just repeat the same pattern over and over again and just seeing results fluctuate up and down. Like, you know, things change needs to be implemented. So... Uh, it's it's just something which I try not to think about anymore because it just frustrates the hell out of me, you know. But yeah, mm. yeah, it's a tough <laughs> yeah. thing to solve for sure. Yeah, Basically, like build a whole country on this idea of like freedom and doing whatever you want, and, like not having to you know, live a life that you don't want to live and all that shit, and then come to a situation where like the exact opposite needs to be true of everybody to solve the problem. Exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah that's true <laughs> yeah dude you have the cutest cat by the way oh uh, yeah youtube her name her name's youtube youtube man she's so cute yeah she's <laughs> fun she's really playful and friendly <laughs> um yeah she's constantly just like sitting on my lap sort of attacking me most of the time when i'm like writing music and stuff um yeah what have you been doing mostly through uh through quarantine um i've been writing a bunch of music um i had like while i was touring last i was like constantly just i always like write little ideas and then you know when i get back into the studio you know put those ideas like solidify them more into like proper music which sounds you know decent um but when i'm on the road i don't really care about any of that stuff i just kind of just go for it but uh yeah, so I've just been writing a whole bunch of music and, um, the, you know, my plan of attack is just like, right, right, right. Once things start opening up, whenever that is, um, I'll probably start doing very, you know, constant releases uh, with all the music that I've been writing now. Um, I've had like some 
like excision is hit me up to do a release on subsidia which i'm thinking about so um that will probably be something next year but nothing solidified just wanted to you know just let people know what's been happening um and yeah man just been trying to focus a lot on my fitness and health like one thing is just like important is for me just to like not worry about things which I cannot control because that's like mm-hmm. the biggest thing which like gets me down. So I've been putting a lot of focus into that. And like, as soon as I start catching myself getting upset about something which I can't control, it's like, well, I can't do anything about that. So that's all good. You know, it's like roll with the punches. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, just really looking within, uh, lost a bunch of weight, been eating really healthy um i was gonna say you look really good too man have you been like working on your fitness yeah i have um i've been mostly mountain biking but i also think um just being in quarantine has allowed me to eat a lot more um consistently for a long period of time mm-hmm. whereas when you're on tour like for instance i had this experience on the weekend um like i went to wisconsin the show was out in the middle of nowhere it was in fucking eau claire wisconsin <clears throat> and i got to my hotel i hadn't eaten all day or I'd eaten like one cliff bar on the plane or something like that. And then I got yeah. to my hotel. I was like, oh, I should probably order some dinner. It's like almost 6 p.m. And yeah. then I was like, all right, what's available? I went on uh, Eat Street and looked at what's available. It was like Dairy Queen, McDonald's, Burger King, uh, like all sorts of shit. So I ended up eating Dairy Queen. And then I was yeah. like, in the morning, I woke up at the hotel. I was like, shit, i got to get to the airport. It's like a two-hour drive. So I drove all the way from the hotel back to the airport. And I was like, I'll just eat at the airport. And then the entire food court there was just shut down. The only thing open was a Starbucks and a McDonald's. So I ended up eating oh, McDonald's. So I was like, that's just shit that happens on tour, right? And uh, it just yeah. made me realize like how fucking bad I must have been eating like constantly whilst touring because I just touring. kind of forgot about that part of it, I guess. And now I just like, I'm always, I saw a tweet you made the other day or a few months ago now where you were like talking about how much you love overnight oats. Um, oh, dude. So yeah, good. I've been doing that a lot as well, actually. Um, yeah. Hell I, yeah. I just, cooking more and stuff like that and yeah um just probably less addicted to sugar than i was like when i was touring because you know you're always just eating bullshit when you're traveling yeah dude those double tree hilton cookies they're traps <laughs> it's like you just can't not eat them <laughs> or the uh the delta biscoffs and shit they just like yes <laughs> give you biscoffs and cheese it's and like all sorts of crap and it's like this is shit that like if i was at home and you tried to give this to me in the middle of the day i'd be like no i'm gonna I make it hell no i don't want that shit Exactly. But like, if you give it to me in the middle of a three-hour Delta flight, I'm like, mm, this disco's looking pretty good. <laughs> exactly, it's pretty. Yeah, that psychology is funny. <laughs> but yeah, dude, no, that's awesome. You know, it's it's good to see that you like. You know, yeah, I find I have found that a lot of people have been like, you know, focusing on their health and fitness and trying to, you know, like you said, that thing of like force being forced to look within um it's kind of it is a good thing and in, in well i think it's a good thing for some people other people have, uh, you know it's hard for them but uh yeah you know it's just it's just good to see like, that's all i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah totally i think so yeah. too um what kind of fitness stuff have you been doing um so i used to well so when i was a kid i used to play a lot of badminton so 
I was like competitive badminton player. Is that um, <laughs> if you go to the UK? Is that called shuttlecock? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the the thing with the feathers with the cock. That's the shuttlecock. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's funny when I tell people that I play badminton, they're like, "Oh." Um, so like in the backyard, I'm like, no, not in the backyard. It's like, you know, proper, like professional badminton indoors, like proper courts, like everything. So, um, I've been playing a lot of badminton. I probably play about four or five times a week. Um, where do you, where do you play? Is the badminton shit open in Portland? Yeah, there's, so one of my friends, uh, he owns his own, uh, warehouse and there's two courts in it. And then you have to call up to like organize a group of four people. And obviously I play with the same four people, like, mm-hmm. you know, over and over again, we all keep within our circles. Um, they work for Intel because Intel is in Portland as well. And, uh, so yeah, um, I've been yeah playing a lot of badminton. I've been doing a lot of bike riding because Nike is also in Portland. So there's mm-hmm. these Nike bikes, like the, uh, the like uh, pedal assist sort of ones. They're pretty fun. Oh, yeah, right. They're really okay, fun. So Portland has yeah. like, okay, that's interesting because San Francisco has these, but they're um, owned by Lyft. Uh, that's funny because the Nike ones are owned by Lyft too. So hmm. maybe it's like they're, they're like cloak, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, Nike's just like, hey, can we get in on this shit? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that, which is fun. Don't know now that it's hitting winter i don't know man i'd probably just keep playing badminton and just keep writing music and i mean i hope i can get back into australia i've actually got to look into flights very soon if it gets approved um because it's already the 5th of november and if i have to do the two-week thing um but yeah that's about it man and eating wise i've just been eating like i've been on big like health cleansers and stuff uh there's this guy who I really love his approach with like detoxification and cleansing. Um, but he's also hated amongst a lot of people too, because he's got very extreme views. Um, his name is David Wolf Mm -hmm. and he's from Canada. And I did this like charcoal two week detox cleanse, uh, with him. With charcoal? Um, yeah. So activated charcoal, you literally just eat charcoal. Um, for two weeks. Uh, yeah, it's like you, you, you do this thing where it's like you slowly reduce your calorie intake down and that's would be like liquid meals for the day, like soups and juices and one solid meal at night. And then that's in the first week, second week, you just go straight on to liquids and only trying to do one, one meal a day. One liquid Um, meal a day? Yeah. One liquid meal a day trying. It doesn't matter if you don't, you can't, you just got to try and then third week is optional and that's straight up water fasting just like no, no food for a week like literally just fasting meditating and just like you know um which i water fast occasionally i'll do like two or three days and yeah. it just makes me feel super duper focused and um the only thing that's bad about water fasting for me is uh, I have so much energy. Like it's insane. Like I can't sleep when I water fast. I'm just like always wanting to do stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, water fasting really changed my, my life. 
and I started it in lockdown and lost like 30 pounds and I wasn't even like overweight or anything, but, uh, I'm definitely a lot more like lean and cut and just made me realize kind of like how much food I kind of unnecessarily ate again, like on flights and stuff like that. I mean, it's easy to say yes. And then just keep repeating that pattern. You know, Mm. it's much harder and much more discipline saying no which is something i've always loved being is discipline like you know i i as a kid i used to do like karate as well which is super disciplined so um yeah sorry didn't mean to go on a ramble just then but yeah what what sort of uh, what this podcast is about for sure (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so what about you man so you said you've been uh doing some bike riding Yeah, I got really heavily in. Uh, so, well, I want to talk about fasting first. Um, I do. I've okay. been doing similar stuff. I do um sixteen eight fasting. So I do uh sixteen hours no eating, eight hours eating every day. Dude, try, it works. Hey, try to do it. It's good, man. I, I if I do anything like twelve eat twelve hours eating, twelve hours not eating, I just feel like bloated and heavy and tired and shit. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've been finding the sixteen eight thing has been pretty sustainable and working for me. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as liquid meals go, I actually drink a lot of Soylent, which is ah. uh, usually like um, if I'm just here by myself in the studio or whatever, I'll pretty much just drink Soylent all day and then like eat a couple of Cliff Bars and then maybe like eat a solid meal at night. So I've been kind of doing a similar thing actually, like without like really thinking about it. But yeah, I do that quite often and I'm. Um, yeah, in terms of bike riding, I just fucking got super into mountain biking recently. I, I had like a um an electric fat bike and I was like, I should take this mountain biking. And I took it mountain biking on this like incredibly hard trail and crashed like three times and like bruised the fuck out of my legs and like destroyed myself basically. Um, but then I was like, fuck, like I, I was like seeing people on the trail, just like hammering it around the trail and just like, yeah doing fine and like having a great time and i was like man this looks so fun and like it is fun it's just like i can't do all the shit like i can't get around corners quickly without like coming off my bike and all this sort of shit so is that because it is a fat bike or is it it, that in that case it was yeah it was that Uh, plus i didn't really know like mountain biking techniques right because it is a skill it's like a new thing you have to learn it's not as simple as like just walking or running right it's it's more complicated it's like more akin to like doing a proper squat with a barbell or something like it's there's form to it and like shit that you have to do or you'll hurt yourself so um it kind of like triggered my brain in that way because it's a technical thing as well and i was like ah, now i like want to learn all the technique technical shit about (laughs) it so like not only did i want to learn all the technical shit about like how to ride a bike but i also wanted to just like learn all the technical mechanical shit about bikes as well so i just like went down this rabbit hole with it yeah um, yeah, no, I'm just super into it and I mountain bike like every day now, basically. I feel like we always, we have similar traits. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I get super obsessive about things when I'm doing, when I do something, I'm like all in on it. Like I'm like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm the same. Man. I think that's like just a trait in general of a lot of people who are super into um, electronic music or art in general is because like the only way to get super good at it like good enough to make a career out of it is to kind of get obsessive about it right like you have to just be like super focused and you have to be just um not only like willing to watch like you know uh, hours of youtube videos every night about topics and shit that you're interested in but like it's you kind of like want to do that it's like you can't Mm -hmm. be at rest without doing that it seems like yeah it's not like you're just 
there watching it, you're there present, like you because you like you're <laughs> genuinely like about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm-hmm. like the difference between when I don't know, like sitting in a lecture at a class that I didn't really want to be at, and then it's like, no, I really want to be here. I really want to learn this. Super focused. So yeah. yeah, but yeah, man, that's 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 dope. So um, the bike riding has been your main thing, or have you been doing other sports as well? So at the start of quarantine, my main thing, I guess, like if I was, if I could say I was doing anything consistently was like lifting weights. Um, and that's kind of what I was doing before quarantine. I was like, like working with a personal trainer at a gym, just like doing a bunch of squats and deadlifts and like just, just lifting weight. Um, and that was something I was into for a while. And then I was sort of doing the same in quarantine, but I didn't have any barbells. I just had like some 25 pound dumbbells. So I was just doing what I could with those. Yeah. And, um, uh, kind of like fell out of that and then just like got drunk a bunch for, for a while and <laughs> um, started taking uh, drugs for a while too and right. um, kind of went through like a phase of that shit and then was like, all right, I got to clean my shit up. So yeah, <laughs> all that out. And then I started getting into hiking a bit. Um, oh, yeah. And that was kind of cool. And then the hiking turned into just like bike riding somehow. Nice, dude um it's uh you just made me think about a different topic when you you were talking about the drugs and stuff um you probably saw that like oregon has like decriminalized the possession of drugs now which is pretty cool oh like any drugs yeah so like if you get caught it's like a hundred dollar fine it's like with a certain amount so so, illegal for a price Yeah, exactly. Like you said before. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. And psilocybin therapy has been passed and, um, uh-huh. yeah, there's, there's a lot of change happening. That was like a 59% vote for, you know, um, and that was, that's pretty cool. So, Oh my God. Ableton just crashed, uh, that the one that was recording the audio. Let me just see. Oh, you could just reopen it. Um, let me see if it's, it's done the damn thing. Uh, it will. It will have probably saved the file somewhere. Hope so. Like as a temp, a temp file. That's so weird because this is like a beast of a computer. Like uh, I installed Ableton on it yesterday. Yeah, I found it doesn't matter like how much of a beast of a computer you have. Um, if the something wrong with the OS or just the way you've got it set up or something like that is. Just always yeah. gonna have issues like that. Like for instance, I have a beast of a computer too. I have like a crazy fucking um, Windows build that I made at the start of quarantine. That that's like uh, has a AMD Threadripper in it and like sixty four gigs of RAM, and right. just like an insane amount of. Uh, it's like really highly specced, but every now and then it just hangs, and everything just freezes, and I'm not really sure why. I can't figure it out. That's crazy. Yeah, if anyone listening to the podcast is super good with Windows computers, um, hit me up and tell me if you've ever had any issues with your AMD hanging randomly. <laughs> just turn so it I got a slug. I got this um, file, <clears throat> and whenever I try to open it, so it's it's opening the project right, but mm-hmm. the audio file isn't there from our from what we've said. So what I did was like gone into the, uh, the recorded folder within the project. And I found like the big one as mm-hmm. like 309 megabytes. It's a dot AIF. 
Yep. But it's not allowing me to pull it into Ableton. It's saying oh, that um, it so could be corrupt. Oh, shit. Um, if you like spacebar it, does it play it? No. Nah. Oh, fuck. All right. Um, have you been recording as well? Yeah, so I'm recording the Zoom call as like a fail safe. So worst case, oh, okay. we have that. Um, right, that's well, I'll hit record like. again. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Worst case, we can always yeah. use the Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, well, hopefully that works. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, I had- uh, what oh, I've yeah. noticed so far, because like when I, uh, when quarantine first started, I was like, oh, I don't, I guess I'm just putting the podcast on hold, right? Because I didn't really want to do them over Zoom and shit because yeah. reasons like this. Um, and I was kind of apprehensive to do it for a long time. But then I started just being like, fuck it, I'll just do them over Zoom. And what I've noticed is no one gives a shit. Like it, the quality is like, sure, it's nice if it's good. But people yeah. aren't not going to listen if it's bad. Yeah. Like they're, they're it more interested. Makes it real. Yeah, they're more interested in like the the conversation itself. Yeah, for sure. Oh uh, yeah, the uh, Kabatsu, that oh, track yeah. bangs <laughs> and so sick. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that was sure. a fun one. So um, that's got a funny story behind it. Basically, I was in LA, and a virtual riot hit me up, and he was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you want to come to the studio and work on music?" And I was like, "Yeah, for sure." So I like went to his studio, <clears throat> and we basically started that tune, and then I went back to Dylan's house, um, where I was staying, and we started working on it there. And then the next day, um, Valentin Virtual Riot came to Dylan's, and we like all worked on it. So basically, it was like a three-way collab between me, Ill Gates, and Virtual Riot. And then yep. when it came to the release of it, um, his management was like, oh, we don't want to like put Virtual Riot's name on it because uh, it's just like bad optics. Like It's a bad look for us to be collaborating with artists this small. And we want to be, be kind of like punching up and you know doing bigger collabs with people like Skrillex and Excision and you know all these like bigger artists, right? Um, yeah, right. So we were like, all right, whatever, it's fine. Uh, but they wanted like a split on the back end. So basically it's a three-way collab with me, Dylan and Virtual Riot. But publicly it only shows mine and Dylan's name on it. And then on the back end, Virtual Riot gets a split of the money. That's so weird, man. Like something's just fucking make dope music. Like I mean, yeah, who cares? <laughs> like Jesus. I to mean, some degree there is like some optics shit, right? Like for instance, um, you know, like me doing a remix for like, you know, somebody who's got like a hundred followers on SoundCloud and just started making music yesterday and has like pretty bad production skills and has never done a show. Like that would be a weird look, right? Yeah. Um, so to some degree, I think that idea scales, but I think... It- but what's the point in asking you to like, hey man, do you want to jump in the studio and then not have anything come of that? <clears throat> Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I guess that. just to have a fun time in the studio and work on shit, which I understand as well. But I think he didn't expect that of his management. I didn't. I don't think it was um, Valentin's choice. I think it was his management's choice. And he yeah. just kind of like defaulted to their decision because he, he trusts their calls, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dang. Yeah, because I, I remember Bill, I mean, uh, Dylan sent me a... Uh, early version of that and uh had the virtual rights name on it and i was like mm-hmm. oh sick and then when it came out i was like oh okay it's uh something's happened here <laughs> so yeah. i figured something weird like that happened but uh yeah but dude that track bangs the uh your kicks and snare transients are just like hitting so nicely do you have any pointers on that 
Yeah, I do actually. Um, that's something I concentrate a lot on. And pretty much what I do is for starters, I do all MIDI triggered side chaining. That's mm -hmm. like a must. Um, and then another thing that you can do is if you, um, do you do MIDI triggered side chaining? Like uh, using like a, like a simpler or a sampler as a ghost? Yeah. And like, then, like with you a small sound? Oh, no, no, no. So like um, oh. you have like a MIDI channel and then you, you send the, that MIDI to something like Shaperbox or... Um, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, Gatekeeper or something. And then that kind of like turns down things. Do, yeah, do that, yeah. I, yeah, I use Cable Guys Volume Shaper. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so yeah, same thing. Yeah, and yeah. do you send MIDI to it? Yeah, just like the MIDI gate trigger, which does the volume and, and shaping. Yeah. And do, you, which, do you just double the MIDI from your drums and then just like send it off? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, most of the time it's just mainly kick, doing the kick drum. Um, and then with the snares and stuff like that, a lot of them just cut through the mix naturally anyways. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah, it just depends, I guess. But but yeah, that's I found that's obviously the cleanest way as well. But uh, with your kicks and so on, are you like synthesizing them, or are they kind of like uh, like kick drum samples which you've come across that you've then reprocessed? No, I made all the drums for that song. But that's uh, sick. Um, the way that I like synthesize them is just using layers of operator. And then mm. I'll use things like corpus to add like metallicness to it and stuff like that. And then I'll use like small amounts of reverb to sort of like have the um, like small amounts of reverb on the very top layers of the snare, like on the noise. Um, yeah, to have like, like vocoder or something. Or just make them wide. So it kind of sounds like the top of the snare is going like and like exploding a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I do a lot of that. And then uh, the MIDI triggered side chaining, but also what I what I've found can work is if you double the MIDI that you're sending to that MIDI triggered side chain, and you use the track delay, or even just slide the MIDI clip back by like five to fifteen milliseconds. Uh, ducks earlier. It, it ducks earlier than the drum hits, and it really like yeah. makes the trans clean hits. transient. Yeah, yeah, that's sick, man. I never thought about like just shifting it across like that, just that little bit. Mm. That's dope. Um, yeah, does that work if you use track delay or do you actually have to move the clips? I usually just move the clips just to be sure, but I yeah. think it might work with track delay as well. But mm. yeah, I actually learned that technique from um, working on house music because like that's <laughs> a, you know, house music always has like those pre-claps and shit. Yeah. And I always noticed when I was, before I was even using MIDI triggered side chaining, um, when I was using just regular side chaining, that if something had a pre-clap, it kind of like had this weird effect where like the transient would would hit a bit harder because it would like duck the thing earlier than the next kick drum. Like the pre-clap would duck everything earlier than, than the kick drum would. And then yep. the kick drum would come through a lot nicer. And then I kind of yeah. figured out that like <laughs> ducking things a little <laughs> earlier um, just really helps the transients. Yeah, just that tiny little bit. Mm -hmm. So with your um, uh, kicks and snares and stuff like that, do you like do you put tutorials up online for them? Like, do you have? Because I'd love to check out how you make your kick. Like, I was yeah, just like so blown I, away by your kick drum. I was like, damn. So I have um, uh, a kick and like snare how to make tutorial on on my YouTube channel, but it's from a while ago, and I've gotten a lot better at it since then. So I could just make you a video if you want to show you how I do it now. Dude, I'd fucking love that. Like, for real. I was like, because uh, I looked up your snare one because I saw that on your YouTube channel and like with the rack and everything like that and mm. how you use operator. 
And then, yeah, that was crazy. Like that was literally, there's so much you can do. You know, you just planted yeah. a seed in my head and I was like, LFO, pitch envelopes, this, that, and the other, like mm. arpeggiated shit, like, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, yeah it's, you can get really creative with it, but, um, <laughs> what I might do is like after this, um, call, I'll, I'll make a video for you. And then I might also like put this video up for the Patreons for this podcast so they can see it as well. Dude, I'd love that. I would, yeah. Thank you so much, dude. That would be awesome. Yeah, of course. Like, um, yeah. do you get like pretty technical with, with that stuff as well? Like making your own drums and all that? Yeah. Well, I kind of do, um, with kicks, I've just like gone through like a shit ton of samples, found my favorite kick, processed it, processed it. The, the way I normally process things is just like <laughs> touching on clipping and then, you know, like grouping channels together and kind of getting sounds to like fight against each other. So that way I can then use that. Like I'll, I'll then record that once it's, fighting against each other let's say like a kick drum and a snare uh clap or kick drum and a cymbal um i'll like smash that through a saturator turn soft clip on and you know crank it up so the two sounds are really kind of just like you know one sound yeah and then i'll so i record that pull that recording into a separate channel eq out all the bottom end and the shit that i don't want and then do a fade so that way when I do have my nice kick drum, the fat one, and then the texture. So it kind of just has the fat kick and then the mm. spew out from the, the texturized recording. Yeah, that's um, another thing I was going to mention too, actually for good transients is like anything else you layer on the drum, make sure that you just have like one clean transient and then the rest of the shit is kind of like has fades on the front of the clip. So it's not like yes. interfering with that, with that nice transient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's funny you say that because that's exactly what i do especially towards the end of a track mm. i'll go through and like flatten everything to audio and then just like look down the kick drum in lanes yeah. <laughs> and then like fade everything mm. sometimes i'll even pull the clip over to the right just a little bit like you know um just so i know 100 percent nothing's hitting but uh yeah the um that's like for my kick drums that's what how i'd go about it but like with my snares, I do this, uh, I'd call it like EQ transient shaping. And like I'll pull in a snare and then with that snare, like I'm looking for it to be like quite gritty and dirty um, because I want some texture. And then after the snare, I would normally do a frequency shift. Mm -hmm. So FM, um, maybe put Wait, it up to like... Frequency shift uh -huh. or FM? uh sorry frequency shift uh like, like with the the yeah and then i i shift the frequency up to like 100 hertz or tune it however i want mm -hmm. once it's like being shifted up i then place an eq just an eq8 i look for where the tone is hitting like the fundamental um, the fundamental tone, normally the, the, the mid range, you know, the real knock yeah, and then like usually at about like 300 or 200 or something. Exactly. And then I'll turn on like a sharp, um, EQ cutoff. Like, oh, do you, um, automate the cue? So it like, goes yes. up. okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's a, that's a chi trick, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's fucking sick. So yeah. like, yeah, like, you know, I'll find that fundamental automate it super quick. 
Um, and then, you know, uh, then after that, I'll put like multi-band dynamics and just like OTT, just the top band. Mm-hmm. So that way you've basically got this chain where, you know, you've got the fundamental hitting and then after it hits, the OTT is trying to push up any silence. So it's like, boom, and then the, the white mm-hmm. noise uh, appears. Then after that, I put like um, another saturator, uh, soft clip, you know, just to round off, like cut it off just to make sure it's not going to affect the master chain too heavy. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, a brilliant way to like make loud as hell snares, which just cut through absolutely everything. And I'm just like really yeah. stoked on this new technique. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing a lot of the same things as me. I think the only thing I do different is just like from the get go, I think I just make the things from synthesizers and then layer Foley and shit on it and then layer my own. Like, uh, I use this other thing called Chromaphone a lot, which is um, made by applied Ooh. acoustic systems. They, they make a uh, collision and tension and stuff like that. And, right. Uh, I use that as like, you know, getting some of the, the tone into the snare because they're like, especially things like collision, it's kind of designed to <clears throat> to physically model shit like a drum or a percussive bongo or something like that. So it's a good way to sort of really fine tune uh, some that's tone. Into, yeah. yeah, that's an excellent idea, man. Because um, I've always found from experience that synthesized sounds this hit so much cleaner than uh like, recorded sounds it, yeah when you make it bespoke for the track it's just always going to sit in there like a like it's going to fit the track like a glove you know it's, um yeah whereas when you're picking a sample there's always a compromise with like a weird little bit of noise or a click on it you don't like or something like that yeah exactly <clears throat> yeah um, yeah uh, the idea you were saying about like ottying at the end um one of my friends said he was in the uh, studio once with space laces and mm-hmm. he said he was doing this thing where he would take the um the flat line preset from multiband dynamics um which is just like a, a preset in ableton for that device and putting it on his drums like on his kicks and his snares and it would essentially um turn the drum up to like full volume right so the entire thing was just like a fucking sausage from start to finish with no <laughs> dynamics at all and then he'd put a gate after it and then take the gate audio input from before the flatline device so it would keep the um the shape or the um the amplitude information from the the kick or the snare before it was flatlined and then use the gate um uh like parameters like release and hold and shit like that to like reshape it so what you get is this like um this sausage snare that still has like a nice tail to it and stuff yeah, so he's like, it's like cranked the shit out of, but then being shaped by an envelope. Um, what it's essentially doing is it's keeping it louder for longer, which I actually just did a video on about subs. Um, okay, and actually I watched that one, yeah. Yeah, so it's the same concept of just keeping a thing louder for a little bit longer, and mm-hmm. it just becomes perceivably louder to our ear if it's at a higher volume for a longer period of time yeah yeah that's pretty dope so i've actually i didn't even know about that flat line preset in uh in the multiband dynamics uh area i have to check that out um yeah yeah i was gonna ask about scratching too because it seems that's like one <laughs> one thing that you do a lot of right and actually um i'm i'm mates with tipper and i he scratches nice. as well right and i asked him once i was like oh have you seen zigbee scratch and he was like oh yeah man that guy's a fucking robot like <laughs> he, he thought your scratching was like just insanely good 
Oh man, that makes me feel really good. Um, because obviously I have, you know, so much respect for somebody like him. Like I remember listening to his music before I even produced, you know what I mean? And uh I was like, Man, this guy's sick, you know, listening to all the, <laughs> the cuts incorporated. Um, that's that's really that's that made thank you, that made my day. <laughs> that makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kinda like you know, the same feeling I'd get like Hubert, like, you know, when you know you get the nod from somebody like Hubert or like somebody who you really respect. So mm. that's sick. Um, yeah, Tip is, is super modest, man. Like he's, he's such a nice dude. Yeah. Is he in Colorado or where does... Yeah, he was living in, I think, Hawaii up until like a year ago and then he moved to Denver. And um, when he moved to Denver, we were hanging out a bit which was awesome. Um, but then I moved here, so we haven't hung out in a, in a while, but, um, I still chat to him often and yeah, he's, he's cool, man. He's a super nice guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's uh, super clean, super sick production and cuts pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. I like his scratching. He's got good style. I mean, yeah, it's funky. I yeah. I don't know a whole lot about scratching. I mean, pretty much the only people I've really paid attention to with it is like you, tipper and uh sticky buds and actually slink uh, yeah. as well do you know slink yeah 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 so like i think just basically my like you know people in the scene that i'm in and just people who i'm friends with and shit are like the only people who i really like watch <laughs> play a lot and stuff so um yeah uh, definitely yeah, a dying I, breed you know there's not many people who scratch anymore <laughs> yeah i guess kill smith too he scratches a bit and bog trotter as well but oh yeah yeah i don't really know like what to look for in a in a good scratcher like what what is it that you that makes someone better than somebody else at it definitely definitely things like uh cleanliness like you know you want to be able to like you know and what i mean by it sounding clean is like uh, you you can just tell like when something's cutting through the mix and it's really nice and sharp and sounding but not ear piercing Whereas more rounded scratches are a bit more like drivelly and dravelly and there's like all these loose sort of which you don't unintentionally put there. So I, I look for that, like the execution. The thing which I personally am most intrigued with is like the funk. Like, yeah, I don't care if somebody's like knows all the techniques in the world, but if they have like the funk, um, and what I mean by the funk, if you guys are like, what do you mean? <laughs> Look up DJ D Styles scratching on YouTube. He is like the most funkiest scratcher in the world and has been for like ever since I've known, you know. So DJ D Styles, he used to be one of the uh, low end theory residents. Mm. Um, and he's like OG, like everyone, a lot of people know like DJ Cubert because <clears throat> he's like super technical and like, you know, awesome. Like I love that guy and, He's scratching is super good. Um, so technically proficient and D styles to me, it just kind of is like more funky and that's what I really want to focus on. Yeah. More, but I understand like, like someone, who's shows. Just, someone who's just got like sick style and good vibe and like kind yeah. of just like good feel and stuff. I feel, I feel the same way about drummers too. Like uh, it can be someone who's just like a double kick crazy person like doing all the fills and shit but i'd much prefer to listen to somebody like dave weckle or steve smith or like um bernie uh fuck, what's his name uh purdy the purdy shuffle guy what's his fucking right name? i don't know the, yeah <laughs> but yeah i totally feel you on that man yeah i guess the equivalent would be like you know you're listening to buster rhymes 
rap like mm. or listening to like somebody rap who's got like you know sick flow can do both it's kind of like break dancing too like mm. someone can go out there and just like do power moves all day but it's how you put the power moves into stalls into this into that like how it's also arranged you know what i mean mm. so when i'm scratching you were saying something about shows? Yeah, when I'm scratching at a show, um, I tend to do power moves. And mm. that's because it's like I have this eight-bar section where it's like <laughs> this is the time where I've got to like, you know, show off um, and it's not enough time for me to get funky with it. Whereas like when I get funky with it, I need something like 16 to 32 bars because it's, I'm telling more of a story. I'm not going to be there just like, you know, for like 16 or 32 bars. I'm going to like go into it slowly. And then like I do do the same thing as a drummer would with like patterns like A, A, B, A, B, C, A, A, da, 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 you know, and just like keep telling a story. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very um, drum-like, isn't it? Like I feel like scratching, it's super similar to drumming. Definitely, yeah. I guess you could you could say like, the faster you push the record is like higher frequency, right? So that's almost like higher intensity, less like hitting a drum harder. Mm. Yeah, it's like slower movement would be hitting a drum softer. Yeah. Right, so, like you can do a lot of dynamic stuff with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, man, it's a lot of fun. I've been scratching every now and then i've been doing a few live streams here and there during this period as well didn't really mention that before um but yeah, oh, I, yeah I read uh, on twitch you're also doing like uh one-on-one tuition uh, yeah. yeah yeah i've got a band i mean not a band camp i've got a uh, big cartel and on that big cartel um it's like zekebeats.bigcartel.com if anyone's interested uh you can purchase like one-on-one zoom lessons in there and it's just like basically tailored lessons to whoever wants them you know and what they want to learn and i'll just try and show them my techniques and the way i go about it and what i know you know what i mean so that's definitely helped during this hard time obviously being an aussie in the states on an o1 visa is kind of tough because you know can't work any other way um and uh, i have to make my money by performing (laughs) or like music related stuff so um the lessons is kind of like a cool little way or loophole of doing that because it's you know it is could can be considered you know performance in a way or like it could be considered a donation as well (laughs) right yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's just like where's the definition on you know this whole thing yeah mm. um so yeah that's definitely helped so if anyone's interested hit me up if you can <laughs> nice um and are you doing mostly lessons on scratching or mostly on production uh all on production actually yeah i've never had any scratching lessons i also don't know how that would work it'd be kind of tough because i'd have to set up like a bird's eye view camera i'd have to set up at least a couple of cameras Mm. Um, and even then it's a hard thing to teach. It's a, it's like I can teach somebody how to knead dough by like explaining to them. But like, if you're next to the person watching them, like kneading dough, you're like, no, you need to apply more of this pressure and that pressure, you know what I mean? And like mm. forward and you really got to feel, yeah, it's just so much better in person, which unfortunately we don't have, but, um, mm. yeah. Yeah. How did you learn how to scratch? 
Um, I just really got drawn to it from like 18 years old, I'd say. Um, I learned watching a DVD. <laughs> so um, DJ Cubert had this scratching DVD called Do It Yourself, Volume 1, Scratching. <laughs> um, and it was like this DVD which had like this whole library of scratches you could go through and select a scratch. And he had explain where it came from the history behind it and like how to execute it. And then when it would be like, okay, let's give it a try. Then you remember how the DVD menus, like our DVD functions had looping and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he would like have a perfect loop going of him starting out simple, getting harder, getting harder, getting harder over like 16 bars. And he leaves you space to reply. Mm -hmm. So he'll go one, two, three, four, and then he'll stop and then it's your turn to do it, you know? Mm. So, um, and that's basically how I learned. And, uh, yeah, I was lucky, lucky that I had talent at it. After my first year of scratching, I won my first state DMC title and won what got it three times in a row, Australian runner up, then Australasian, uh, ITF champion, which is like a different thing to the DMC. Um, and then I won Cubert's Scratch University competition. So I went to San Fran, stayed with Cubert for a while. Like, it's just a dream come true, to be honest. And this is all before yeah, I was awesome. producing, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's um, yeah, dude, it's wild. Um, and yeah, that's basically a really quick summary of my journey with turntablism. Um, now I'm primarily focused on production, um, which I fucking love. Like, you know, at first it was like such a different world to, to scratching. I was like, holy shit, production, like making music and DJing music is so different. Like, mm-hmm. um, and at first I wasn't really about it, but I learned to love it. It's like once I learned a couple of things, then I started going down that rabbit hole that we were speaking of about like how when you get into something, you're just like, ah, mm. you know. It's cool though that you like knew how to DJ before getting into production because I think that knowing how to DJ um, makes you think about your music differently, like your writing of it. Because I didn't know how to DJ until like two years ago, right? And I've been writing music for about 15 years. So like the first (laughs) like 10 or 12 years or whatever of me writing electronic music, I was playing horrible shows. Like I had no idea what I was doing with DJing. I was mostly playing out of Ableton, like just whatever the fuck. Like I I had (laughs) no... concept of like the flow of a set or like anything like that i was just playing yeah. the latest tunes that i've made and like not even mixing them and shit um <laughs> so it's only like in the last few years that i've actually learned to do that and uh and i like actually tried to get really good at it and yeah it definitely makes me think about the production process a lot differently like when i'm in the studio writing music it feels like i'm uh yeah, thinking about the, the um, progression and like the structure of the song a lot differently because i'm trying to make it like <laughs> djable and <laughs> yeah yeah, that's good, man. I I, it, I felt like it definitely had a big influence as well. I mean, my earlier production, I was like, I didn't really know how to write intros and stuff properly. And I just kind of just like the shortest intros and then it's straight into the drop. Mm. But um, yeah, as time went on, I got, you know, I took more of the DJing side into account. Even still sometimes now though, um, I won't, make like a full big intro or something because i'll just be like no this is how i want the song to feel and be like you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so um you know prime prime example of that is like uh 
my first big breakthrough track was Meltdown. And that track has no time signature as it builds up. It's literally granular synthesis just going, you know, just, just building up and then, you know, filtering out to the vocal and then just dropping. Um, and, you know, like that's so fucking hard to mix if you don't have a grid or something to watch. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that made the drop so impactful to that song because it was a stall, soundscapes, soundscapes, no transients hitting, no nothing. And then all of a sudden, just because the drop happened, it's just like, fuck, you know what I mean? It's like, holy shit. <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like the drop is, uh, as Ben from Ganja White Knight uh, put it, is just something that needs to be validated by something before it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, like a drop by itself is usually whatever. It's like they're cool, but like they're way cooler if they're validated by a giant buildup or a cool intro or whatever. And I, I don't think it matters like what that validation for the drop is, as long as it like yeah. validates it nicely and and makes it makes it makes it make sense in the context or whatever. Totally, yeah. It's it's kind of like sneezing without warning. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> like, you when you got to sneeze, you're like. Oh. <laughs> you gotta pull the dumb face and shit and be like oh. <laughs> exactly whereas you're not just gonna be like <laughs> so, dude imagine you did so... that and like weren't able to shut your eyes in time and both your eyes popped out of your head popped out. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i heard when i was younger like one of my friends told me if you sneeze with your eyes open your eyes come out of your head and i believed it for a long ass time is that i still don't know if that's true or not is it true uh, let's find out right now. I don't think so. <laughs> if you sneeze with your eyes open, what happens? Um, pressure released from a sneeze is extremely unlikely to cause an eyeball to pop out, even if your eyes are open. Increased pressure from straining builds up in the blood vessels, not the eyes or the muscles surrounding the eyes. So uh, the answer is yes, you can safely sneeze with your eyes open. Nice. Yeah. Um, there's technically a nearly negligible chance that you could try this and experience a condition called globe suck subluxation. Globe subluxation. That sounds interesting. Let's see what that is. What is globe su- subluxation? It's a rare orbital complication and presents in a dramatic fashion. It is characterized by the anterior displacement of the eye, usually when the equator of the globe protrudes beyond the retracted lids. Okay, wow. so that can happen, but it's very low chance that, that would happen. <laughs> Dude, and then I googled anterior displacement, and the first thing that came up was anterior displacement of the anus is a common formation, <laughs> which is a form thrust of imperforate anus. That's Most exactly patients- what... That's exactly what we want from our drops. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we want the uh, anterior displacement of the anus from our drops. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, okay. Shit. Well, nice. man, I'm gonna call it there because I got to do some other stuff. But um, so anterior for, displacement. <laughs> I'll just end it on that. And uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for doing this, man. It was really awesome to finally have a proper conversation with you. I know we haven't like really um had a like we've met a couple of times oh and stuff, gosh. but it's been good to have a proper conversation. 
definitely, man. Likewise, thanks for having me on. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see to check out your, that video you're gonna be recording for Patreon. Yeah. I'll do. Um, and yeah, dude. I hope you have an awesome day. And um, if I come down to SF sometime, I'll hit you up. If I if I'm passing through, maybe we could have some food or something. Um, Definitely do, man. Yeah. Socially distanced and safe thoughts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, thank you for everything again, man. Yeah. Have a good one. Cool. All right. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.